0: On today's episode, we will explore EDI through new technology with special guest Sydney Coleman from Google. Welcome to Exclusion, a podcast that explores all things equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace. Inclusion is brought to you by Canadian Equality Consulting, MBR Consulting.
1: Hello everyone. Today we are talking about how Google is working to advance equity, diversity and inclusion in their company and the broader community. And we're going to be interviewing Sydney Coleman, who works in equity, diversity, and inclusion at Google, but she'll also be sharing with us some best practices and tools and tips and uh, about her experiences to advance equity, diversity,
0: and inclusion. So we will note that what's spoken today is uh, Sydney's um, own personal views on this and not the voice of Google. We just want to make sure we say that. But as always, in the spirit of respect, reciprocity, and truth, we acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on traditional territory and oral practices of the Treaty 7 region in Southern Alberta and Region 3, Métis Nation. We acknowledge all nations, Indigenous and non, who live, work, and play on these lands, and to all who assist in their stewardship for generations to come. So
1: we're very fortunate to have our special guest with us today to discuss this topic. Um, Sydney Coleman, she works, at, works on equity, diversity, and inclusion at Google in San Francisco. And uh, before we jump straight into the conversation, um, we'd like to tell you a bit more about her. So she began her diversity and inclusion advocacy many years ago when she studied social identity, inequality, and intergroup relations at Occidental College. She designed and conducted research on the relationship between internalized racism and colorism with undergraduate women of color. Sydney's passion for social justice activism led to creating and driving more diverse and inclusive programming and policies in various tech startups, both at Yelp and at Nextdoor. Most recently, she has taken on leadership roles in both corporate employee resource groups and diversity steering committees. Sydney has also designed employee inclusion surveys and held intergroup dialogues on social justice issues and microaggressions in the workplace. Sydney works on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Google in San Francisco. She also serves as the VP on a board for U.S. National Committee for UN Women in San Francisco. And she's incredibly passionate about making the workplace and the tech industry in particular more accessible, inclusive, and equitable for underrepresented populations. And I found a lot of different um, groups in the U.S. call it diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, or D.I., and uh, (laughs) we've been using E.D.I. because we just don't like D.I. It doesn't really ring right for, for
2: what we're doing. But yeah, so thank you so much for joining us today, Sydney. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you today.
0: And thank you for being our first international interview. Ooh, <laughs> yes, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. So before we jump in, um, I just wanted to put this in a little context for Alberta. Uh, Alberta is known for more being in the resource sector, but actually, we have a pretty strong tech sector, sector that's starting to pop up. And um, right now, female. The female participation in the Alberta's technical sector is actually twice the national average um, in Canada, and 30% of the tech companies in our province have either female founders or co-founders, according to a new study by the um, Alberta Enterprise Corporation. So definitely, not only is it relevant to that group, but I think that what we talk about today uh, will be transferable to really any Any sector, Mm -hmm. but uh, definitely, definitely important to put a shout out to the the tech folk here in Alberta. So, Cindy, the first question we have for you is that uh, part of your position at Google is the product, is on product inclusion. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, What is it and what does it involve?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, 20% of my role is dedicated to product inclusion and essentially I'm part of a, a, an employee resource group called Women At and our mission is to partner with product teams across Google and across Alphabet um, to make our products more inclusive and make sure that we're sort of valuing and representing the diversity of women's perspectives and women's voices. Um, everywhere. So, you know, the global reach. So you can imagine some projects like ensuring that Google Assistant recognizes women's accents and tones, um, you know, making sure if somebody searches the word woman on Google that they don't see like hypersexualized and, and white, only white images of women. Um, and other ways that we can kind of support women's health and sexual assault survivors, for example. So those are some of the things that we're working on.
0: Thanks for that. I know that in general, there has been, um, a common practice and and I don't think it's intentional, but quite often white men are the default in design. So it's, I'm happy to hear that there's some insight being put into, into this for sure. And in,
2: and in your
1: product inclusion work, um, So you you mentioned that the goal is to kind of make products more inclusive. And then does that also involve kind of internally where the teams that you're creating to design these products are also aimed to represent the target markets or demographics that they're supposed to serve?
2: Yeah, exactly. So, in an ideal state, I think the internal teams should sort of mirror our users in terms of their, their identities and demographics. And we're definitely not there today in, in, at Google or in tech in general. Um, but that would be the best way to have the most inclusive products is having, you know, you can't be about us without us, is kind of the, the way of thinking about that.
1: Mm, wonderful. And so, how can product designers? Um, incorporate an intersectional kind of equity diversity inclusion lens into their work so is there a a, any way that you'd recommend to do that or is there a specific tool that google uses or that you've seen that has worked well
2: yeah i think this is a really good question and it's important to design with an intersectional lens and so sort of what that means is if you're designing and you say okay we're just we're going to make sure this product works for women without being explicitly intersectional, then you're often designing for young, white, college-educated, you know, English-speaking, straight, cisgendered, able-bodied, like the list goes on. Women And so instead, you need to really be thinking about the most marginalized user and who is most marginalized and in different aspects of their identity and design for that person. So it's not it's not really just thinking about gender or race, but all of these other components of identity that can be happening at the same time. If someone is, you know, for example, um, blind and a woman of color, for example, there's there's plenty of use cases and Um, You know, it's not only the right thing to do, but it actually makes products better for everyone. So you can think about a concrete example that I always kind of refer to is there's dips in the sidewalk, right? And those were, this is not a tech example. (laughs) This is an everyday life example. Um, Those were typically, they were designed specifically for people in wheelchairs to be able to get up on the sidewalk. But you can see that, you know, people use those with luggage, with baby carriages or strollers and it's, it's the same in tech um, you can design for a specific use case and everyone will benefit
0: I know here in Calgary um, quite often the city will will work with geographers to try to map out uh, day-to-day routes that maybe women take or um, those that don't do the the typical commute to downtown Calgary in order to design some of their systems is is What kind of strategies can you suggest uh, or maybe other groups that people can connect with like a geography department to um, to help make sure that you use an intersectional lens? It's one thing to say that, oh, yes, we're going to be intersectional and another to actually put that into action. Do you use do you use uh, some kind of test groups or what do you do?
2: Yeah, so I think it really comes down to user testing. So making sure that before you launch a product, if we're talking about tech specifically, that you have a sample size of users that kind of have all different identities represented and you can understand kind of how they're interacting. So there's a lot of like UX research that can, can be put in place, but making sure that you're testing and iterating with um, sort of a diverse population with different identities
0: do you have some examples maybe of um, when things didn't quite work and, and putting the intersectional lens made, made the groups go, oh, yeah, geez, that's something I never even thought of? Because I think sometimes um, when so many of us work together that have the same educational background, this, the same uh, experience background, you create a group sync. And I think it's important yeah. to, to remind everybody that we all have these biases.
2: Yeah. So one example I can think of was that a team that was marketing a product and they wanted to explicitly, they had to um, basically show an antagonist and a protagonist. And the antagonist that they used was a white man. And they were sort of intentional about that. And then they had the protagonist being a woman of color. Um, However, the antagonist, this kind of bad guy hacker in this scenario Um, was wearing a hoodie and so he had like a sort of a black sweatshirt with the hood up and they didn't think about the intersectionality of like clothing and what are the stereotypes that you're perpetuating about what it is to be a good or a bad person in the clothing and you know we've seen that there are police killings in the United States that have happened because of someone's clothing and how that kind of relates to racial identity and so it's not a there's no like quick fix there's not one you know thing that you can do to make sure that your marketing and your products are inclusive, but I think having an intersectional lens and thinking about all these different aspects of identity is is kind of what you need to do to start. Great, thank
1: you for that. Um, I have a question about kind of new technologies in general, and we've seen that new technologies. Um, over the past couple years anyway, have made incredible advancements in convenience. So for example, um, we see smart homes Mm -hmm. and uh, technology has enabled us to have kind of remote control from our phone over the heating of a home, um, music speaker systems, um, in your daily appointment and scheduling and shopping, et cetera. um, And I've seen a few cases come up in the news about how in domestic violence situations or in abuse... Um, one partner, uh, even if they have left the building or left the home they've been able to from their device control and manipulate the other via these technologies so um for example, locking the home remotely or all of a sudden spiking the temperature or starting music blasting at night and um and it you know all results in making these um, these people feel very unsafe and so I'm just curious because i I haven't heard much about solutions to this from the sector. So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this? And is there a way that this can be prevented in the design of, of these types of products?
2: Yeah, I think this is a really important issue. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, I also will just raise that um, Ellen Pow did quite a bit on the issue of revenge porn at Reddit. Um, So that's kind of like a fascinating case study if if folks are interested in this specifically. Um, In general, though, when you're thinking about like how do you prevent users from using technology to control or threaten or stalk people, a lot of times the issue in tech has been this issue of free speech. And like where do we draw the line between free speech and hate speech? And that's sort of an ongoing debate at a lot of companies. And it's not always explicit. Like the gaming industry, there's a history of violence against women, like Mm -hmm. video games that include sort of like rape scenarios. Um, That's an obvious case. But oftentimes it's a question of like Twitter had at one point, you know, do we let people use their real names or do they use pseudonyms on the platform? And... Personally, like if Twitter had answered that question differently and and enforced people to use their real names, I think that users would behave differently today, and perhaps there would be less like death threats and rape threats for women. And so, I think there's still a lot of stalking that happens on that platform. So, you know, it's really a matter of do are women at the table and are, are underrepresented people at the table when these critical decisions about products are being made. And if they're at the table, do they have a voice? Because, you know, a lot of times you'll just have like the the token one person. And if they don't have the, uh, the voice to actually impact decision making when it comes to product, um, then then these issues will continue to arise. Um, and to answer your, your kind of second question, I don't think enough is being done about this specifically when it comes to domestic violence. And sexual assault and all of these things these issues of stalking and hate I think in the United States where the valley Silicon Valley is too often we kind of prioritize free speech over um, over like human rights and that's my personal opinion on this mm-hmm. <laughs> so hot mm-hmm.
0: yes. issue though yes thank thank you for that. Um, now, to to shift it a little bit away from the actual design of the products to the people at a company like Google, um, can you tell me more broadly how Google and maybe other groups that you've worked with are working to advancing EDI so maybe like resource groups or mentorship or other Mm -hmm. strategies to to help with that inclusion piece you just mentioned how it's one thing to be diverse and sit at the table it's another to have a voice that inclusion part of having a voice to make a difference so what are some strategies that have been used to help with that
2: Yeah. So um, I'll share a little bit about what we've done at Google. And this is a lot of this information is available in our diversity report, which is published annually. Um, But what I will say is I I often say this, but it's harder to turn a yacht than a sailboat. So when you're talking about like a a massive company, that's a hundred thousand people. It takes a lot of time and effort and resources to, to make these types of systemic changes. Um, So always better to start early in your, in a small startup, with the sailboat analogy but in terms of yeah like community inclusion I think you know we've done a bunch there's feedback that have come directly from our employees like there was a deaf employee who uh, was out to dinner in a dark restaurant over the past year and um, started couldn't lip read because of the darkness and started using Google Docs to kind of use a live transcription and like press the mic and was communicating with his friends in that way. And I think there are so many ways that we can innovate, but it, it really takes having that feedback loop where you're hearing directly from your users or from your employees in this case. Um There's sponsorship programs. I know you mentioned mentorship. I think there's like a little bit of a distinction between mentorship and sponsorship um, where we've paired women with um, VPs and really that has had a positive impact on progression of women's careers and retention and really trying to get more women in leadership. Um, There was a partnership that I'm pretty proud of where Google signed the Women's Empowerment Principles with the United Nations Um, UN Women Organization, and so that was really to advance women in the workplace. Um, We also do, this is kind of interesting, I I don't know of other companies doing this today, but we do um, have an event each year called the State of Black Women, and it's basically all of the black women employees, we know this is sort of a, a, a subset of employees that have a really not inclusive experience today based on surveys that we send each year, Um, So we have them all come to meet with our CEO and have a summit each year. We're rolling it out to um, also include a Latina summit later this year. So making sure that they have direct access to leadership and can make changes that way um, in terms of policy and programming. Um, But yeah, the list goes on. I mean, we do a lot in terms of like hiring veterans, working with LGBTQ business owners um, but when you're talking about sort of what works and what's a uh, best practice, I think what Google has done well um, and what I've seen in startups as well is pairing both data and storytelling. And without the one or the other, you you can't really have an effective diversity and inclusion strategy, in my opinion. I think like you can use anecdotal feedback and sort of qualitative data, but without the numbers, um, you know, there's, there's nothing there. And, and then without, if you just present the quantitative data, there's no face to what you're presenting. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be a balance of both storytelling and, and data.
0: So it's always great to hear what works. Is there any strategies maybe that, mm-hmm. uh, that you use that have, hasn't worked? There's many groups here in Alberta that EDI is just top of mind. They're just starting out and I'd mm-hmm. hate to see them hit some you know, um, some snags that maybe others have learned, oh, that didn't quite work. So, <laughs> you have any suggestion yeah. on maybe what, to, what a group like Google has tried and it just it just didn't work?
2: Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about smaller startups, it's a really different landscape. I think I've worked places in the past where they would just do like sort of token events where they would have, you know, like a movie night or something like that. And I really think that what companies need to do is build this into their business strategy. Mm -hmm. And if it's sort of a siloed conversation, that's a nice to have And employee resource groups are just doing it as their night job. And that's an additional like emotional burden that we're putting on employees and it's not baked into the actual OKRs of a company, then um, you're going to spin your wheel. So I would say, important to integrate it early and make sure it's part of the core competency of the leadership team.
0: Thanks for that. I know there's stories we hear about smaller companies where they just give the task to the young female engineer and say go yeah. so mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> definitely like just another, another thing right
1: and I'll volunteer run right yes. on the side of your desk that's yeah. right thanks for that. And we also on the podcast like to follow um, the unique jer- career journeys of women. And how they can lead us to different paths than what we might have originally expected. And I understand that you had taken a six-month career break at one point, uh, which led you to some really interesting projects and research. So we'd love to hear a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, I actually, not many people know this, but I got laid off, which is fine and actually ended up having a, um, a real silver lining where I took six months and I kind of took a break from in-house roles and started to develop my strategy on diversity, equity, and inclusion um, and what that means for startups in the tech industry. And so I created a website and I sort of open sourced my approach to diversity and inclusion. The website's diversityframework.com. Um, and it's really designed for corporate leaders and tech professionals or entrepreneurs. Um, I'd seen a lot of challenges in the tech industry firsthand and experienced, some sexual harassment myself. And I really wanted to sort of put that research and personal experience into best practices. So it was, it was an interesting six month journey.
1: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. They, there's been a lot of, um, with the economic downturn in Alberta, a lot of layoffs in our oil and gas industry here. Um, so that's really encouraging and inspiring to hear what you were able to do during that time and, um, and how you leveraged that experience and you continued working in the area um, that you love. So that's fabulous. Thanks.
0: So, tech companies um, have been in the news over the past few years and criticized for not being diverse and creating and often creating unfriendly environments for women. Do you think that this is improving at all? Um, How can you sell EDI effectively uh, within the tech industry and maybe beyond?
2: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think there's some small positive indicators. There, there the new requirement. In, I don't know what the case is in Canada, I should know, but um, in California and New York, requiring women to be on boards is, is a step in the right direction. Um, there's some startups like Slack that are not siloing diversity and inclusion and creating that as part of a core business imperative from the beginning. And I think that's a positive indicator. Um, the tech leavers study was, was done by the KPOR Center here in the Bay Area, and that demonstrated that there's actually 16 billion dollars lost each year in attrition because of this issue. So, employees like women and underrepresented people experiencing the tech industry is so hostile that they they just leave, and there's real implications on the business. Um, so, I think yes and no. There's some small incremental improvements, but it's still um, a very toxic culture at a high level. I think the industry has a long way to go. Um, I also think that we need to be measuring the same things. So you've seen like Google, Facebook, Netflix, all these companies, they publish every year their diversity reports, and they're all measuring different things. And so Right now, when we talk about comparing them, it's really apples and oranges in terms of, like, what identities they report on and how they're indexing that. And I think in, we need a baseline for the tech industry to understand, like, where are we at with representation and promoting women to leadership and underrepresented folks to leadership and, um it's not going to happen until the companies start of use these reports as a way to be transparent and not a way to sort of like tout their progress. Um, So I think there's room to improve there. And also it will allow for more accountability measures to be built in. Like I'd love to see executive compensation tied to improvements in this Mm -hmm. area. Um, I really think that, you know, we have to reach people with structural power to make the changes that we want to see. And um, and that's going to take some time.
0: Wow, sixteen million lost. That's no billion, <laughs> billion, billion. There's wow. a B, not even an M. Yeah, well, and, and that's interesting. Here in Alberta, a few years ago, um, we we have a little different setup here where our maternity leaves are actually a year long versus in the states, and so mm-hmm. we found that, um, at least in in the engineering and geoscience sectors where I'm in, how um quite often that transition wouldn't work very well. So our professional organization called APEGA created a, a document called Managing Transitions to help with that particular career break. And one of the stats they had was that if you, um, if a professional person is to leave your company, it will cost you 400% to get that person back wow. up, to get a new person in train them up Mm -hmm. and get them to where the other person just was. So you can see when it's 400% per person, how it can can Mm -hmm. add up to $16 with a B. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I see the importance of how you mentioned, you know, it's so important to measure the same things and all these companies um, that are forward thinking and actually, you know, trying to, trying to do something on this are also, you know, very concerned with PR and putting out reports that make them look really good and showing what they've done, but it, that it doesn't help to advance the, you know, the sector and the community as a whole when we're all measuring different things.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And
1: the government here, um, the federal government has been trying to, they've been focusing um, most recently on post-secondary institutions. So universities across Canada and to, uh, trying to establish a baseline. <clears throat> so requiring them all before they can get funding their uh, research funding to um, examine the, essentially do like a a gender and diversity audit of the whole uh, institution and uh, to then have that baseline data and then make them all do action plans and things like that. And so it sounds like um, when we ask kind of, you know, how can one sell EDI effectively um, to like a company or, or whatnot? It sounds like it's something that has to be like in order to affect real change, it has to almost be imposed initially. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, but then also one thing you mentioned earlier about pairing the data and storytelling together in order to effectively um, promote it, but affect change as well in EDI programs would be really powerful as well.
2: Yeah. I think I, I generally, uh, I don't know if this is just being a pessimist, but I think that the stick has been working more in the industry than the carrot. So, um, yeah, I, I like what you said about imposing. It's, it's has to be kind of like a regulatory, yeah. uh, clients thing. Sadly. Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: until we achieve equality
2: <laughs> right?
1: and <laughs> the carrot will just be understood and done. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> um, right. Can you tell us a bit more about the U.S. National Committee for UN Women that you're a member of? And, yeah. and does it offer any resources or um, support to workplaces?
2: Yeah, so this is uh, an interesting thing that I, I really enjoy. It's the UN Women, which is, as it sounds, UN Women. It's the leg of the UN that's focused on empowering women globally. Um, I work on our local chapter. I'm the VP of the, the board in San Francisco, and we do some interesting things like a film festival where we partner with human rights, um, filmmakers globally and different events to connect women with sort of global issues, but they're locally in San Francisco. And, um, we have explored some partnerships across tech because we're in San Francisco. It's kind of like the industry here. So, um, but really, I enjoy working on these issues more from like a human rights perspective, and it's a nice break for me to kind of step outside of the tech industry um, and think about things a bit differently. Um, in terms of resources, though, for companies, is something that Google did uh, last year is sign the Women's Empowerment Principles. They're called the WEPS uh, for short, and that is um, from UN Women, and they're uh, promoting all of the companies across the corporate sector to, um, to sign and basically commit to women's empowerment. So that's, that's really cool. one action item, I guess, for the private sector. Mm-hmm. Do they monitor
1: the, um, those companies that sign on to it or try to see if they meet certain, I guess, goals? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They do. Um, I remember having a conversation with them when, um, when Google was signing and we had just had our walkout. And so they're, they're very aware of like kind of what is happening internally at companies and they're monitoring that as part of the, the signatories.
1: Interesting. So just a side note. So the Google walkout, were you, you were working at Google when that happened? I had just joined. Yes.
2: Oh, what was that? <laughs> what was that like working CDI at, at Google during that, <laughs> during that whole, management. you know, I think there's like interesting things happening, um, in terms of like internal activism where employees, um, are pushing for changes both in Google and other companies too. Like we saw, I saw that there was a walkout for what was the company? It was a a retailer that was supplying beds to the detention centers. Wayfair. Yeah, Wayfair. Oh. I was gonna say Waymo, and I'm like, no, it's <laughs> not us. It's That's not right. us. It's Wayfair. Um, yeah, so I think there's like a general shift uh, right now where shareholders and uh, employees are pushing for change, and it's a
0: really interesting time. Actually, there was just an article posted. Um, within the last 24 hours about how companies are shifting and turning away from shareholders being the most important factor Mm -hmm. within their greater uh, decision making. So I I, I do think there's a shift that is coming. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the
2: shareholder employee audience obviously overlaps, but I think um, these things are, it's, it is like, the, the press right and mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you can draw attention to some of these larger issues, like
0: arbitration and uh, that's been a big one. Mm-hmm. We could do a whole talk on that actually <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, I, another thing that I, I believe Google's been quite involved in is to create space for um, young women or children girls especially to to also find a way to create. And I know in the news here in Calgary, just recently, the University of Calgary was um, working with uh, a bunch of young girls, and one of, their, one of their groups is going to go to an international competition uh, with the app that they created for social anxiety. So I know by adding girls and women um, to, to this, these spaces that we can help solve a lot of the world's problems, um, Google's been part of some of those creative contests, haven't they?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not totally familiar with that app specifically or that partnership, but there's a lot of effort to sort of empower like the next generation of technologists. Um, So that's great to hear.
0: Great. Thanks. And what other kind of advice would you have for EDI professionals? Maybe some that are just starting out. I know it's it's very much a new profession here in Canada. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, um, I actually refer to a quote for this from Shell Kim, who is, um, she's in the Bay Area and she works on in diversity and inclusion issues as a practitioner, um, sort of consulting. And she said to center marginalized people's needs is the way to minimize harm. And I, I think that that actually means a lot of things. And it's important to remember that People have experiences of exclusion, your name of your podcast, (laughs) (laughs) before they have actually like the language to describe it. So you might not know like the nuanced vocabulary of like, what is the difference between you know, justice and accountability and equity and equality and diversity, inclusion, intersectionality, allyship, like there's all these terms, but it's really important to sort of centralize marginalized people's needs and understand that there's so much value in just people's lived experiences. Um, And I guess my other advice is that it's really important to bring white men along with you, And I think that it's important to position diversity and inclusion as everyone's problem, you know, like it's across all lines of difference and all lines of identity and it's not just race and gender and really important to get everyone on board.
1: Yeah. Have you seen um, that done well anywhere that you could share or has Google done anything to promote um, allyship or found a way to kind of break down the defensive walls of, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the, whatever they're called, white able-bodied men are the dominant group in order to bring
2: them along. For sure. I think like everyone sort of needs to see themselves in the diversity and inclusion narrative. And I actually used to be like kind of triggered when people would just talk about like, um, men would talk about, oh, my daughter, this, my daughter, this, but, um, whatever, it takes for someone to be invested in improving the workplace and making it a more equitable place is, is a good place to start. So it might be, you know, having a sibling with a disability or having a mental health a struggle yourself. Whatever it is, it's it's important to sort of identify in every individual so that they can see themselves in this conversation. Otherwise, that you're not going to make change. Hmm. Okay.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time and for and for sharing all these insights with us. Um, some key takeaways um, that uh, I've been, you know, furiously writing down as you've been talking um, are include um, that we need to think about the most marginalized person and design for them. And that uh, in doing that, everyone will benefit. Um, also, Uh, Another takeaway is about in product development type work, how important um, user testing is and engagement and consultation with the diverse populations um, and how incredibly important that is to an effective product. Um, And also the importance of finding ways to embed accountability into product design. So looking at who was at the table, um, what kind of impact do they have at the table, um, and uh, and making um, people use real names, for example, online is a good way to, um, as one example of how you can enhance accountability like that. And also, you must have diverse teams to design effective products, and particularly representation from the populations you intend to target, and... Uh, EDI or DEI, as they say in the US, (laughs) an intersectional lens can most certainly be applied to product creation and work in the tech industry um, from even examining the appearance of protagonists or avatars uh, to ensure that they don't harm or reinforce or feed stereotypes.
0: Awesome. So thank you everyone for listening to us today. And don't forget to check out the resource section from this podcast. We will put some references that were mentioned in the episode and as well as a few other background information. And once again, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Buzzsprout. And please hit subscribe uh, to not- so you can be notified about new new episodes and also give us a five-star review. That would be great. It helps others find us (laughs) (laughs) online. So thank you so much for listening.
1: Yeah. And let's continue the conversation. Let us know what you think. Send us questions. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we would love to hear from you. And thank you so much, Sydney, for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: All right. So until next time. Bye. Bye.